1: Hi, this is J.R. Lowry, and welcome to Career Sessions. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Alter, who I first got to know when her husband Michael and I were working together back in the late 1990s. Sarah is currently the CEO of NextUp, a growing 15,000-member, 900-corporate partner movement transforming the retail, consumer goods, technology, manufacturing, and financial services industries. Specifically, NextUp is focused on creating opportunities for more women leaders and a more collaborative, flexible, and diverse workplace for everyone. Sarah is an accomplished executive herself. Before taking the helmet NextUp five years ago, she spent two years as chief marketing officer with General Growth Properties and operator of shopping malls. Prior to that, she worked in a variety of roles for Discover Financial Services, and earlier roles were at the online retailer Quill and at Staples, including some time spent working in the UK. Sarah is also active in the nonprofit world, supporting the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business Venture Challenge. She is also a member of the Economic Club of Chicago. She has earned a wide range of industry recognition for her work at NextUP, Discover, and Quill, including being named a notable women's executive by Crane's Chicago business in 2020. She serves on the advisory boards of the Illinois State Lottery and Maverick Digital, and she hosts her own internet radio show and podcast called Advancing All Women, which airs each Friday on Voice America and has over 60,000 listeners. Sarah earned her bachelor's degree in economics from Northwestern and her MBA from Harvard Business School. She and her husband Michael live in the Chicago area and are the parents of three adult children. Sarah, welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me to join you today. Thrilled to be here.
1: Great. I'm looking forward to our conversation and hearing more about what you're doing now. So let's start there actually. So talk about talk about next up and what it's all about and I know you've been there for I think 5 years or so, so be great just to get an overview of that to start with.
2: Yeah, it'll be five years, June 5th. So in the next couple of days, next up is my why, you know, both my personal and professional why it's a 501c3. So it's a nonprofit. And our mission is to advance all women in business. And we go about doing that in three primary ways. The first is we provide leadership development and it's, you know, women aren't broken. They do not need to be fixed, but, you know, we can always be better leaders and knowledge clearly has a shelf life. And we all learned just in these last two years alone, right, that, you know, we had to lead in a very different way. And so we provide, you know, assessments, coaching, structured, you know, content and curriculum and workshops. The second is that we provide networking. And so we have over 15,000 members and growing and we engage in communities that are volunteer led Mm. in 22, you know, different locations across the United States and Canada. And that networking really ends up benefiting all both, you know, personally and professionally. And then the third and probably the more important way has been through providing content and curriculum and strategy for C-suite leaders and organizations. We partner with over 900 companies, half the Fortune 500, and we provide them with guidance in how to Bring diversity, you know, equity, inclusion, and belonging alive yeah. in their cultures and in their strategies.
1: How does your model work? I mean, you're, obviously, the corporate people presumably are paying some sort of fees to you. Do yeah. do your fifteen thousand members pay fees, or is it just free for them and paid by the corporate members?
2: Yeah, no. So for us, it's clearly a B to B, you know, capital B to capital B, and then we've got a a to C, tiny C the lion's share of the revenue that you know you need margin to deliver mission (laughs) so the lion's share of the revenue that we deliver is is through our corporate partnerships so these you know we partner with over 900 companies but there's actually probably about 130 who you know that 80 20 rule that Mm -hmm. really invest in us extensively And by investing in us, we can coach and guide them in how to provide the right culture and how to provide the right, you know, training or development or networking, you know, and most importantly, you know, creating that environment where all women feel like they have every opportunity to be as equally successful, you know, as men. And it really spills over into diverse communities as well. So, yeah, we'll negotiate a partnership We have phenomenal partners like PepsiCo and Walmart and Target and Google and Microsoft and, you know, you name it. And we'll work with them to pull together investments, not only at that individual level in their female leaders, but also in their male leaders. And Mm -hmm. one of the bigger initiatives that we had rolled out just this past year and a half was a whole community and journey called Beyond Allies, And it teaches you how to be a better ally. So we've had a number of our partners invest in developing their male allyship community. Mm. And then on top of that, then there are corporate programs like Beyond Allies that can also be spread across the entire organization and done at a a larger scale, if you will. Yeah,
1: I know there's, I see a sort of, I won't say a gigantic number, but certainly there's a growing number of for-profit institutions out there kind of working on promoting you know, women development chief would be one that comes to mind Mm -hmm. immediately, but it's certainly not the only one. How do you think about, you know, the role that you play relative to them?
2: Sure. And you know what, we were born out of necessity. Mm. A number of other, you know, peer nonprofit based organizations, as well as these for-profit organizations exist out of necessity. Right. And, you know, sadly we're needed you know, the ideal day will be the day where I am no longer needed, and my organization isn't either. But sadly, that's also a far way away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't ever feel like we compete with any of these organizations because we all seem to have found like our competitive differentiation or mm-hmm. our you know unique you know strategic value in in delivering impact. And if you compare us with the chief, I'm actually a member of chief. Are you? (laughs) And yeah, and chief serves that C-suite to its name, that C-suite, you know, community of female leaders. And they provide, you know, content, they provide curriculum, and they provide, you know, networking. Next up would serve these C-suite leaders, but they would serve these C-suite leaders by serving their teams. So these C-suite leaders would come to us and we would lay out what that roadmap is for leadership development, for networking, you know, for, you know, employees fresh out of college, all the way up to that, you know, VP level where your chief is targeted probably above that level and beyond in the C-suite. So we can coexist happily. And, you know, ideally it's You know, everybody when they come in doesn't duplicate or create redundancy, but they hit an opportunity or a gap so that once we add up all of our great work and impact together, we can truly start to deliver progress.
1: I know you'd spent like 20 plus years in the kind of retail consumer packaged goods world and a bit in financial services when you were working at Discover. So, what led you to Next Up? You know, how did you decide to make the jump for profit world into the nonprofit world? Yeah. Social enterprise world, if you will.
2: You know, I wish I could sit here and say that, you know, I had laid out my strategic career path, and you know, and I knew at one point in time, you know, it was a fluke. Yeah. <laughs> at that point in time, I was looking for my next adventure, and a recruiter that I had always kept in touch with, you know, both personally and professionally reached out and she said, Hey, I know you want to get a C title beyond the CMO title that I had Mm. had at the most recent job at that point in time. And at that point in time, I was also looking at like BC and PE type opportunities. She said, it's not a for-profit, it's not a startup, but, you know, it's a nonprofit whose mission is centered in and around gender equality and, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. She said, I know you're passionate about that. And Even more importantly, it's an opportunity to really refound, you know, rebuild and scale, you know, Mm -hmm. a tremendous mission. And what appealed to me about it was it was a bit of a hybrid because I felt like half the job was nonprofit, you know, mission focused, but the other half was partnering with these Fortune 500 companies. And guiding them strategically and how they could bring, you know, D-E-I-B to life in their cultures and embedded in their strategies and their DNA. And, you know, when I started, you know, I shared with the board, I said, hey, I'm going to run this like a business, yeah. a startup business, but with a very strong and passionate mission. And there was this incredible article in HBR that one of my team members said to me, And it really spoke to what we needed to do, which was we had to be refounders. You know, what was prior called New, Network of Executive Women, and we've rebranded and it's now Next Up. But at the time, you know, this was five years ago and and New had existed for at least 16 years at that point. Right. It was an incredible community spread across the United States and across, you know, corporate America and, and the corporate world in Canada, but it wasn't poised for the future yeah and it also it was not indicative of what we were preaching you know it wasn't a diverse community there weren't different generations there weren't both men and women there weren't members from the lgbtqia plus community there weren't as many BIPOC members and so for me it was the bigger epiphany was one we need to diversify and contemporize our community and mission and then two even more importantly it wasn't about fixing women <laughs> it was about empowering them and it was about fixing the cultures and the you know organizations and their lack of support you know that could set women up for every equal opportunity to be successful
1: how did you go about you know you had a long career history of time in the kind of digital online world which i'm sure has been relevant in Mm -hmm. leading next up, but how did you go about the transformation that you're describing, the refounding, as you you call it?
2: Well, for me, the first step was, and it was in order to, there were like 130 other people that they were considering for this job. And so to interview for it, you had to come up with a plan. And for me, the core component of my plan was you know, you need to diversify the industries that you're serving. And so when new, the old organizational name was founded, it found its roots in primarily retail and CPG. What was key to me was where was the growth? You know, where was the money? At the time that I joined, you know, five years ago, there were a lot of challenges. Retailers were shutting their doors, you know, right. CPG companies were shutting down or acquiring each other and merging. And there wasn't as much growth as you would hope for. And so Mm -hmm. budgets were challenged. And because sadly, not all leaders and companies back then were equally convinced and committed (laughs) to investing in this aspect of their culture. You know, there were challenging conversations of you know funds drying up, so my recommendation was then let's go into the markets. So go into technology. Let's go into financial services. Go to service providers. Go to the vendors you know that mm-hmm. serve the retailers and the CPG companies. We're even now in um, pharma. We've got a huge representation of pharma. We've got a huge representation now of manufacturing. We've clearly diversified the companies and the industries that we serve. That was that first step. The second step was then expanding the, the services and the product that we could sell. So it wasn't just about serving individual female leaders and providing face-to-face networking. It was about, okay, let's start to engage more men. Let's start to diversify other leaders who are joining us, BIPOC leaders, members of the LGBTQIA plus community, bringing in newer generations. And then even more importantly, and it played out even even more so, you know, over the last two years where our business model was 90, 95% Mm face-to-face. And we had to flip the switch overnight. So we went virtual and thankfully we had invested in our digital community. You know, we had invested in our social media communities and platforms. And more recently over the past year was where we invested in the radio show and the podcast.
1: Yeah. I wanted to hear more about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause we, you know, as we all saw people were zoomed out. Yeah. You know, They had that virtual fatigue and, The first year, everybody was clamoring for direction, for sanity, right? For, you know, for any type of knowledge that would guide them through this journey. Yeah. And then it started to slowly kind of die down, you know? And at first, we'd have a a 1,000 people on a Zoom, and then we had 500. And now we're lucky if we have 250, you know? And we just got a lot of feedback that, yeah, no, don't want to be in yet another Zoom. Hmm. So that's where someone had reached out on LinkedIn and it was Voice America. And uh, they said, hey, you should, you know, you got a lot of great content. Let's do a radio show. So we started it and then the rest is history.
1: (laughs) 60,000 subscribers. Yeah. That's amazing. When did you start this? It wasn't that long ago, right?
2: No, you know what? It was a year ago and I found that magic formula is I'll typically have three guests on. Okay. We cover the topics that are, you know, top of mind for any one of our members or our partners and their leaders, you know, so anything that's typically more DEIB, you know, Mm. related. And what we do is we'll bring in a thought leader, an expert, and then we'll bring in two, you know, leaders who are actually, you know, bringing it to life, you know, making it happen in their own organizations so for example last week we did a show on mental health and in the spirit of may is mental health awareness month right we brought on an author who's a former board member um andy dunn and he wrote a book building a startup you know burning out and losing my mind while i did it Mm -hmm. and he shares his personal journey of coming to terms as an adult with he is bipolar, bipolar mm-hmm. one. And so he talks all about his journey, both personally and professionally, and then wrote a book to, you know, share so that others can benefit, you know, from his own journey. Along with them, we had a female leader who's a therapist and she shared her own personal journey with her son. And then just advice and guidance for leaders in terms of what they should be providing when it comes to mental health insurance and services and time off, you know, for employees doing things like building a business resource group that focuses in and around mental health. So there's a community where people feel safe and they can come to for advice and guidance. The following week, we did a show on grief Mm. and there's sadly, there's a whole lot of grief in our world these days. And we had a woman who has her own podcast, Girl We Need to Talk, uh, Charity Bailey. And she is focused on guiding individuals through grief. We had a mental therapist who focuses in and around grief. And then we had a, a member and a partner who had just lost her grandmother and was grieving, you know, that family member loss. And so we try to cover all these different topics. We've got, you know, we've got one coming up in June, it's pride month. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about advice and guidance in terms of how you, you know, transition and announce at work that you are identifying as a different gender. Now you mm-hmm. are using different pronouns and the time has come that you're about to make it happen. And so we're partnering with HRC, human okay. rights council, you know, they'll be our thought leader. And then we're going to bring a couple of individuals where that was the journey they had.
1: Yeah, cool. And
2: quite an adventure.
1: <laughs> yeah. And presumably you've got people on the team who help you know pick topics and book Absolutely. your guests and all of that yeah I'm Absolutely. my own booking agent so
2: you know what I much admiration to you Mr. Lowry yeah I, <laughs> I have two yeah I have two people who are kind enough to help me and they help me you know schedule and coordinate and then I've got an incredible writer um, Maria Cirillo helps out on then Angie Bice and they both help me out and it's, it's fun brainstorming the topics because every time I go out and I meet someone new now, I'm like, oh, I need to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you, you do start thinking like that. I, right, I, right. You know, I
2: feel so bad. I'm like, yeah, I should just enjoy meeting this person and not be selfishly thinking how they'd yeah. be a good guest.
1: <laughs> exactly. I've, yeah. I've definitely had that same sort of thought process in my head about the conflict between the two. How have you grown the show? What do you do to publicize it? Is it word of mouth or is it? Does Voice America help? What do you think has led to the growth?
2: Voice, yeah, no, Voice America, absolutely a phenomenal partner. They have helped to promote it. And then honestly, we leverage the guests tremendously. Yeah. We always encourage them to promote it. And then we just use all of our digital assets, you know, that we leverage today, you know, emails, our website, all right. of the, the social right. media that we do. LinkedIn is probably like the number one way in, yeah. in which we've really been able to grow. And, you know, it's fun to collaborate like with other, you know, other podcasters, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yourself. There's another group called CPG Guys, and they've been around now for, I think, almost two years. Yeah. And they focus on all that is CPG. Yeah. And so they've had me on as a guest. I've had them on as a guest and so on. And, but yeah, it just, it's been so well received because you can listen to a podcast at your own convenience, right? Right. Right. You know, and we learned quickly that, you know, when we were scheduling Zoom events or, you know, learning programs and it's at X hour, most people were listening to it later. They weren't able to engage. And they wanted that option you know to listen to the recording and so that's where we you know tried it out and you know and it's it's been a great new channel and way to engage
1: yeah i mean it's certainly the one benefit as you say you can do it at your own time but you also can do it in more places right i talk to people who listen to podcasts while they work out you know while they're in the car on a long drive and so it's got that and you know just the seamlessness of being able in particular to, you know, get it on your phone and connect that to like your car audio so you could listen to it in your car. That certainly has to help, you know, boost audience. So.
2: All right. So I have to ask you, have you listened to yourself yet?
1: Oh, I mean, I go back and personally kind of edit down all of the episodes and then I give it to the production company to work on and, (sighs) uh, and they, they put the finishing touches on things, but it, it helps me what I find. And I also get transcripts from them. And so I do the discussion I rewatch the discussion and then I read the transcript of the discussion. And the one benefit of that is by the time that's all done, like I remember the discussions pretty well, right? And what I talked about with each person and what was unique about their, you know, their story. And, and so, you know, it's time consuming. I don't know whether I'll be able to keep doing that forever, but it's a way to really help me internalize the lessons that I get from these discussions. So yeah. yeah.
2: And I love what you're focused on you know, I think back on, there's just been so many times in my career where others have stepped up or, you know, advocated or sponsored or provided just advice and guidance. And and so I love what you're
1: doing. Thank you. To go back to your beginnings, you were at Northwestern, you studied economics, right? And how did you uh, sort of think about your immediate post-college path, which ultimately led you know back to harvard to get your mba and then into the yeah. retail world
2: it was funny at the time like the job to get this was like back you know 300 years ago um was arthur anderson yeah <laughs> and i didn't end up getting yeah. that offer.
1: that's one way you really <laughs> date yourself is when you talk about one
2: <laughs> <laughs> no so but what i did end up getting and it was the perfect way to start you know my career journey and it's advice that i try and give you know anytime anybody seeks my advice but it was a structured six-month leadership management training program Mm. and it was for american president lines and you worked your way through every single department and division you know within it and it's an international shipping company but it's both international and domestic transportation services and so you worked at the rail yard you worked in the truck depot you worked on the docks you know where yeah. the vessels were you worked in finance you worked in marketing and sales and you know you name it and for me it was perfect because i had no clue what i hmm. wanted to do and i had no clue what i thought i would enjoy and be good at in those those two Naturally, go hand in hand, and literally wanted to start in a sales position. You either went into sales or operations after you graduated the training program, and there were no sales opportunities open. And so I took a job as a truck dispatcher
3: <laughs> okay. at the
2: Truck Depot in the rail yard. <laughs> and it was the best thing I could have ever done. It humbled me. I needed to be humbled. And it taught me, you know the inner workings of just the whole operation
3: right? yeah. of the whole
2: company. And so eventually a sales job opened up probably about a year, a year and a half later, and I snatched it and loved it, you know, and, and therein, you know, I stayed with, it was American president companies in total by the time I left cuz they had expanded divisions but i was in sales roles then for like mm. the next 7 years and just you know worked my way around selling different types of transportation services in different markets but absolutely you know from a career advice perspective seek a company that has a structured training program yeah because particularly when you're fresh out of college you're not as knowledgeable or as experienced as you probably should be. And when you find a company that's willing to invest in developing your knowledge and your skills through a variety of experiences, you know, you want that company that's going to give you a nice long and wide runway.
3: Right. Typically,
2: if there's a training program and then a rotation program, right, that's a strong sign that you're in good hands. <laughs> so for me, I did that and it, I loved it. I loved selling. I was good at it. And I watched my husband apply to go to business school and we moved to Boston. I opened up a sales office for the company at that point. He was a first year and watched him having the time of his life, meeting all these incredible people from all over the world and just learning, you know, just far more significantly than you could ever imagine from like a strategic perspective an analytic perspective And so I quietly applied in case I didn't get in (laughs) and I luckily got in. And so I ended up then going and getting my MBA as well. Yeah, We were broke for three years (laughs) and then we both became consultants.
3: Mm.
2: And so Michael went to McKinsey. I went to AT Kearney. I was in their transportation and logistics practice. I got to move over and work in Asia, loved being abroad, did not love being a consultant. I was not a good consultant. I was a manager. I was an operator. And so I ended up staying just shy of two years. And then my journey began with Staples and, you know, landed a job at Staples. Michael was still at McKinsey. His job took us to London and Staples graciously transferred my offer from Boston to London. And then we lived and worked in Europe, primarily in London, for two years. And I was part of the European retail team for Staples. Mm. So I was the marketing comptroller for stores in England and Germany. Loved that job. Just that was where I truly, I mean, I loved sales, but I truly loved marketing. I'm that servant leader where I know it all starts and ends with the customer. And that's what really inspires me. And that would be another piece of advice that I would give, which is, you know, you need to be inspired by your mission, by your customer, by your product or service. And if you're not, how can you ever be satisfied with what you're doing? How can you ever love what you're doing? And how can you ever be good at it? Yeah. And so for me, I, I learned a couple of times later, like, yeah, this was not working for me. Time to move. <laughs> yeah, But yeah, no. So I was with Staples for 10 years. They eventually brought me back here in Chicago, worked for one of their recent acquisitions, Quill, and continued to do marketing, but primarily digital marketing. And so right. I played a lead role in helping them to build out their whole digital you know, strategy and platform and experience. Ultimately moved over to Discover because they needed somebody to come in and scrap and rebuild their whole digital world. But that was the point where my first six years loved it. My seventh year fell out of love and I knew it was time to move on. And so I took some time off and found my next gig, chased a title, wanted to be a chief marketing officer. So don't chase titles, don't chase salaries, don't chase titles did not do the appropriate research and that ended up just being the wrong role and wrong organization for me. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up leaving, but when every door closes, another one opens. And that's when I found next up.
1: What was it that wasn't a good fit for you in that organization? You know, what was it that changed for you in your last year at Discover?
2: It was the culture. Yeah. It was the culture. You know, I ironically at Discover in that last year, and I'd had, you know, incredible bosses up to that point, you know, learned a whole new industry. I'd known nothing, you know, about financial services, the credit card industry. But the first boss who brought me and invested in my education, you know, the next two bosses invested in continuing to develop me as a leader. But that final boss in a review, I got told that I was too nice. I was too motherly. And I was told that I was wearing too bright of (laughs) colors and that I would never be a successful executive leader because of those two dynamics at play. (laughs) So three months later, I was out. (laughs) I left. (laughs) Yeah. And then in the second situation, it was the real estate industry. And, you know, you got to eat nails for breakfast when you're in the yeah. real estate industry.
1: That's a tough business.
2: And you know what? I don't really care for nails. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a nice plate of scrambled eggs and fruit. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So there, it just, it wasn't the right role or situation for me. And there were a number of other people who'd been tremendously successful through the years, and it was the right role and situation and organization for them. It just wasn't right for me.
1: Yeah. I would imagine that you're getting to apply all of those things in what you're doing now, right? Go back mm-hmm, to your mm-hmm. you know, your logistics piece, you know, there's a certain amount of logistics management in what you do in terms of the events that you put on, right? Um Absolutely. but it's, it's certainly the digital piece in particular. Absolutely. You know, you you were yeah. well positioned to lead a company into the, you know, virtual world that we all went into at the beginning. Of the pandemic, in particular, right?
2: It's been interesting, and in that to your point, you know, each one of these experiences, you know, clearly I've picked up leadership skills that, for the most part, transcend time, right? Yeah, shifting, shifting dynamics. You know, some of them, like the best move I made was when I was at Quill, the division of of Staples. The then president said, "Hey." You know, we've got this crazy thing called a website on the World Wide Web, and I'm not really sure what it does. Staples is now telling us we need to grow it. I'm giving you this project. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, good and, timing.
2: Yeah. Oh, perfect. It was 99, 1999. Yeah. and I said, "You appreciate I know nothing." He's like, eh, "You'll figure it out. You're hardworking. You're bright." And again, you know, a common theme that you know Staples. Discover also had this philosophy of, you know, move people around, challenge them, give them new and different adventures. And you want to look for that company that is willing to rotate you and you can be provided this long and wide, you know, runway. But that, I would argue, was the best move I've made in my career, above Mm. all my degrees and, you know, whatever. That was the best move I made because it just, it was on the early, early end. You know, early beginning of, you know, what when the World Wide Web, you know, turned into the internet, you know, and companies started building out e commerce or e business. And then they eventually did mobile and then they did social media. And, you know, so I was on the early end of that journey. And then I was able to not only through Quill, but then through Discover, because at Discover, I went in and built out our mobile platform with my team. And then we built out our social media platforms with our team so it was on that early end and it was such an exciting time and you know and now people live their lives and do their jobs you know yeah virtually (laughs) so
1: i remember back in the late 90s when you were you know moving into that space and thinking well that's a perfect place to be because it's clear that this is the future right you know and two years later you had the the dot-com bus come but for somebody like a staples with the brick and mortar foundation yeah. they could weather that out while they continued to build the online piece up and you know it really played to the strengths of people Absolutely. who had that combined that combined Absolutely. Uh, online and real presence
2: i have an article clipping from the wall street journal and i think it was like 99 or 2000 but they listed the top dot-com platforms and staples was number one yeah Amazon was down there somewhere.
1: Uh, Yeah, they recovered.
2: We were, yeah, we were like, Quill was halfway down the list. And if you think about the size, you know, at that point in time, gosh, when I started, it was 29 million in sales. And by the time I left, it was like 800 million. You know, Staples clearly was on the leading edge. Leading edge, and I remember too that Land's End was yep. known as like the technical guru. Like they were the ones that first did live chat. You know, they tried all of the new digital tools on their platform. And I would drag my team up on a road trip, and we'd go up and visit Land's End and brainstorm. You know, with their group because we didn't compete.
1: So I'm going to ask him a turn and ask sure. a question that I asked Michael when I talked to him. At what point did you feel like you really had yourself figured out and what energized you and what you wanted to do professionally?
2: You know, I don't think I have myself figured out yet (laughs) because I probably have at least another adventure or two in me. Yeah. But I did figure out what energizes me. Absolutely leading teams, you know, being engaged with team members, you know, bottom up, top down, right? Yeah, growing and building, you know, every now and then you got to rebuild. But what truly energizes me is growing and building and scaling, you know, teams, products, companies. Absolutely. As I mentioned before, I'm a servant leader. And so I am truly inspired by how we serve our customer, our client, mm. our member, our partner. And so that's why I think I've always enjoyed you know, roles in marketing teams and in sales teams, you know, engaging in, in customer service, those I think would be the three core takeaways for me. Yeah. And so as I've looked at each job thereafter, that clearly, you know, has been like three criteria. I guess I would add a fourth, which is the culture has got to be right too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And that
2: I learned, you know, twice where I didn't have the right type of culture dynamics, and I was so blessed and fortunate that I was in a family that I could afford to take the time off to find the right next adventure. Yeah. And I humbly appreciate not everybody gets to do that, but I, I just I so so appreciate that it's key. And so now as a leader, you know, I'm trying to do all I can to make it the right culture. And yeah. it was particularly challenging these last couple of years.
1: Yeah. I would, I would imagine particularly, you know, you're in an organization that's focused on women. Women have been leaving the workforce. They're not coming back. Um, It's probably put a lot of pressure on what you're doing, you know, to try and figure out how to reverse some of the things that have, Mm -hmm. have happened that just don't seem to be reverting to whatever normal is.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. The she session, the great resignation.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: And now the great recovery, that's what we're trying to call it. And next up, and you're right, I mean, it was just devastating, the impact and the challenge that, you know, women faced both domestically and globally. The mckinsey Leanin study shared that in the first year of COVID alone, women lost five years of progress.
0: Which
1: is in, it just incredible. Domestically,
2: of any advancement yeah. that they had made, the global stats, 34 years, 34 years in that first year alone. And, And so much of it was, you know, work and life collided. And we were able to, you know, easily compartmentalize before. But the good news in all of this is that you see so many leaders now in companies that are focused on, okay, how do I transform the norm? I get it. Like, I need to facilitate remote working. I need to facilitate flexible hours. You know, I need to provide more than just mental, you know, vision and dental. <laughs> you know, I need to provide caregiving. You know, I need to provide mental health. You know, you just see so many more dynamic approaches to how, you know, leaders and companies can serve their employees. And and that's a lot of what we've been covering um, yeah. in all of the podcasts.
1: You talked about culture a minute ago. What What do you do to create the kind of culture that you want to have in the organization?
2: So for me, I'm very big on being approachable. And I made this a practice throughout the years of my career that I did a whole lot of skip levels. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I want to meet with every single member of the team if I can. You know, at one point I had a team that was over 500. So that wasn't necessarily happening at an individual level, but I would go to the call centers and then meet, you know, do just a mass meeting, you know, because I I wanted to make myself available and more importantly, to be there, to to be appreciative and thank Mm. those that are truly making it happen, right? right. That are bringing the mission to life. So approachability is definitely one of them. Humility is another wherein, you know what, when there's a screw up, it all ladders back to me. Mm. And when there's a celebration or success or acknowledgement, you know, or kudos, it goes to the team. And, you know, always want to make sure that I'm saying thank you as much as I can, because I appreciate, you know, just how hard people work. I would think the other thing, too, and, you know... I like to have a good laugh. I like to have fun. And so I try to lighten the mood where I can, you know, in any type of meeting, we are here to deliver impact and value. So we need to be responsible and professional and get that job done and serve our members and partners and our mission, most importantly. But it doesn't mean you can't have a whole lot of fun either. And so I try to have a lot of fun. And, you know, we, as many others did, we came up with some really crazy kind of social activities that can be done virtually. And thank God now we're back in person.
1: Yeah. (laughs) How much are you doing in person yourself?
2: um, Yeah, no. So we are a fully remote based organization. Now we've got 35 people total in my HQ team, and we're spread across the United States. Hmm. So all of our, most of our group and team meetings are Zoom, they're virtual. And then once a quarter, we try to get the whole team together, so we can be together for at least a couple of days in person. And then from a regional and partnership perspective, you know, prior to COVID, I was traveling like at least two to three weeks out of every month because I would go and visit any one of our 22 regions, go visit corporate partners. Now I probably travel a total of like a week a month. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone's welcoming everybody back. They're, you know, limiting who's in their facility so they can keep them safe and healthy. And our our regions, you know, albeit before they would do 90% of their programming, you know, face-to-face events, now it's probably about 50-50. Yeah. And so there aren't as many, you know, in-person regional events to go to. But like, for example, next week, I'm headed to Phoenix. We have a leadership development program that we're kicking off. The first week of it's in-person the rest of it will be, you know, virtual. And then I'm going to visit a, one of our partners, PetSmart, and then I'm going to go to a regional event that night. So yeah. Um, yeah. it's starting to pick back up a little, but our take is it's not going to ever pick back up to the pace it was before because corporate partners just aren't there. Yeah. And in a, in a good number of cases, they're not necessarily willing now to fund travel. So where in people used to be able to travel and come to an event or a program, a number of corporate, you know, partners realized the savings that could yeah. be realized when nobody was having to travel and they right. built that into their, you know, P&L, so.
1: Right. So we're going to run out of time. Any final thoughts or career advice you want to give to our oh, listeners? Oh
2: gosh. Yeah, no, I would say the two I would share. Would be if your dreams don't scare you, they're just not big enough. Okay. Which means take risks, right? You know, find that company that's willing to take that risk on you and take that risk. And I did it a number of times. I was so fortunate I had people investing in me. And then the second would be network, network, Mm -hmm. and network. you cannot underestimate the value of your personal and professional network. And you realize just how important it is when you don't have it and you need it. (laughs) And that actually, when I looked to change my career, the first time I realized how little of a network I had. And I definitely started to learn to invest in it. And now it's so easy to do virtually.
1: Yeah, well, LinkedIn's made it made it. Yeah.
2: Oh, it, yeah. It's
1: almost unforgivable yeah. not to have a network now because it's so much easier than it used to be. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah, no, but thank you so much for yeah, having me you today. Love yeah. your show.
1: So much more we could cover, but you know, there's the time limit. So hey. I appreciate of the course. time, Sarah. Yeah. It's great to catch My up.
2: Pleasure.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
1: If you're ready to take control of your career, visit Pathwise.io. If you'd like more regular career insights, sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter and follow Pathwise on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks, and have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises, backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.